Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. Today with us from luxurious palatial accommodations in Sea Island, Georgia, is Bill Crystal. Before we begin, though, just a reminder that this podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Sign up today and get a 30-day free trial and a free audiobook of your choice from Audible.com. So, Bill, you're hanging out, uh, living the good life down south while those of us in the northeast are getting pounded by snow? You know, you have my sympathy, Michael. <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking every every half hour or so as I walk around in 62-degree weather here at this very interesting <laughs> American Enterprise Institute conference, looking at the, you know, the sunny skies, the rippling waves, the ocean. I think poor Michael Graham up there in Boston, 24, hour, 24 inches of mixed rain and snow. And, and really, for a minute, I, my, my enjoyment of being here diminishes. But then... But after a minute, it goes uh, away. I, I want you to know that as a person, I, I hate you. I want you to know that. But it's been a fascinating week uh, for people who are keeping score. Uh, there was a time when we were discussing here in the podcast, can the Republicans ever win a fight? Or do they just show up as the predetermined loser, kind of the Washington generals, you know, to President Obama's Harlem Globetrotters? I'm, every day that the sequester doesn't sequest, it looks to me like President Obama looks more and more foolish. Yeah, look, it could be. We have pieces by both. Steve Hayes and Fred Barnes, um, interesting reporting pieces coming from slightly different angles uh, on what's happening on the sequester, particularly on the president's dinner Wednesday night at the Jefferson Hotel with 12 Republican senators. I don't know why he just couldn't have them over to the White House. Instead, as, as one senator who's actually down here at the AEI retreat said to me, instead 65 advanced staff and social uh, secret service agents and others have to go, you know, uh, secure the route right. from the White House to the Jefferson Hotel, tie up rush hour traffic, uh, inconvenience other diners at the hotel. The president could eat there, but he did pick up the tab. The the Republican senator was pleased to tell me, and uh, they, honestly, I and I think Fred and Steve reflect this in their pieces. It, it, one has to be very suspicious. One one has to assume that he's not serious about this. It's just PR driven, as you suggest, by his uh, his having not having a very good week in, in fighting the sequester battle. On the other hand, maybe it's possible he's kind of come to his senses and realizes that if he wants to be a successful president, he's got to at least begin to do something about entitlements and the debt. But, you know, it's interesting, the uh, Wall Street Journal had an interesting piece today laying out how little it is he's proposing. And in fact, the net impact of his cuts versus the sequester would be more spending than. <laughs> so that's I don't I don't understand how that's a cut. So is the president once again, is the president serious about fixing any problem, whether it's our screwed up tax code, Social Security or Medicare that has, I believe, a 44 trillion dollar unfunded you know uh, a hole that we don't know yet how we're going to fill it the numbers are astonishing is he going to do anything about any of them look i i think it would be very foolish to think he's going to do anything fundamental i think the next president's going to have to make much bigger changes than this president would even conceive of accepting mm -hmm. but i think it's an interesting tactical political question does he at least make a gesture in that direction does he try to cut a deal that at least makes the they take some baby steps along the path that paul ryan and others have laid out or does he just decide to uh, play partisan politics and think he can crush the Republicans in 2014? And I do think the lesson of the last week may have been that Republicans are, uh, not even the Republicans are doing so well, it's just the country is not where the president thought it was. I mean, this is a guy who won with 51% of the vote. That's fine. He won. He won. You know, he deserves credit for running a clever campaign and all that. But we're not talking about a guy who got a massive re-election majority who increased his vote as previous presidents had done from their original election to their re-election. This is the guy who lost votes, was able to hang on, uh, did not win back the House, and uh, thinks he has a mandate for massively increasing government. And I think uh, the public is letting him know 
no, that's not the case. We weren't really convinced by Mitt Romney, unfortunately, from our point of view. But nonetheless, uh, they weren't really buying the whole Obama uh, vision for the future either. On my uh, radio show this week, we had uh, several uh, grassroots folks who were talking about stories, and one of the things that had them pumped up is that they finally see it's not that President Obama has made missteps. He's made a lot of missteps, but he's made a misstep with the sequester that apparently either de- the uh, D.C. press corps decided to cover. The other thing that has them excited is Rand Paul, and a lot of them believe that this is kind of a, a turning point in the cycle leading up to 2014 of energizing principled conservatives. They see Rand Paul as a beacon they can all rally around and lead them forward. Uh, I assume we can read an editorial expressing similar sentiments in the Weekly Standard. Yes, Bill Crystal. I just sent in my editorial, and it's, um, it's, not, it's not favorable to Rand Paul <laughs> in the sense that I, I don't agree with his position on drones. And I think if he were to sort of dominate the Republican Party's debate on national security, the party would go in the wrong direction. Having said that, having said that, though, I, I, I also had that sense on Wednesday that this could be a moment, and that almost regardless of the merits, just the spectacle of a guy standing up on the Senate floor, uh, ignoring the leadership of his own party, taking on the president and the attorney general, having other people rally to him, and sort of just doing it because he thinks it's right. I don't think it's right. I think it's kind of crazy to be worrying about this drone strikes against Americans sitting in a cafe, and I think it actually could undermine, you know, in, in some ways, the... Uh, what's important about the, the war on terror. And nonetheless, I, I do, I, I sort of understand, I think, the sentiment that people out there felt and are feeling, perhaps. And in that respect, it could be kind of a moment. Rick Santelli, you know, in late February 2009, right. had that rant on CNBC, and it kind of uh, helped spur what was already brewing, the kind of Tea Party rebellion. And the truth is, no one quite remembers what Santelli's, the particulars of his rant were. Mm-hmm. People now think it was all about the stimulus or Obamacare. It was actually about the president's mortgage proposal, which right. I don't even really remember anything about, but it sort of hit a nerve. And I, I do think Paul might have hit a nerve that could be energizing to Republicans and conservatives, even though I, I suspect on, so, uh, on consideration, most Republicans and most conservatives aren't actually going to agree with him. But I think what they, one thing that a lot of, I've heard from, a, and this is you know New England where I am, uh, we have a local uh, Republican running for the U.S. Senate race who's a self-described moderate social moderate who jumped on the Rand Paul bandwagon because the part that resonated to him was making the president answer the question. And there's been a real sense the Republicans, particularly in the Congress, haven't done or been able to do their basic job of making the other branch of government accountable and and more important to the average person articulating the argument that would counter some of the stuff that's coming out of the White House. And here you had a guy who wasn't up screaming and yelling, you know, <laughs> some wild way like a Michael Graham would. And he was having a principled conversation referencing to the Constitution and fundamental principles of the, of the United States. And it worked. And it just made it, it warm the cockles of conservative hearts. No, I think that's true to some degree. And I do think the Republican House could take a lesson from that. I mean, mm-hmm. they do control the House. They do have the power to schedule hearings and, and have witnesses up. There's an awful lot of oversight that, oversight of the executive branch that should be happening, and it happens very sporadically and really, I think, minimally. I, I mean, it's really startling, given the incredible targets of opportunity there in Obama's executive branch, how little the House has been able to do in, in terms of oversight, and maybe they'll take a uh, lesson from Rand Paul and, and get to work on that. Uh, the other thing that was uh, inspiring to some of us was the g- gathering of people around Rand Paul where you, when uh, South Carolina Senator Tim Scott, Flo- uh, Texas Senator Ted Cruz, and then via the web, Marco Rubio showed up to support what he was doing along with uh, Mike Lee of Utah. 
and you look at that group of people and it's a pr- it's it's it would be a pretty good poster for you know whatever you know dream team 2020 or you know here's the future of the GOP and what made it more sweet for me Bill Crystal as a longtime non-fan of John McCain is that John McCain did exactly what I wanted him to do he doesn't like these guys well look I think McCain has actually substantive disagreements with Rand Paul and is worried and Lindsey Graham is as well that the party is going in the wrong mm. direction uh, on this issue to the degree it rallies to Paul's mm. substantive uh, uh, right. points, as opposed to just, you know, let's stand up to the president and the AG and demand answers, which in a way is, I mean, uh, Paul was very clever to frame it that way, as opposed to sort of, I mean, he backed off in a sense about making his full-scale argument about U.S. foreign policy, right. and so it was, it was, everyone could rally to him. So he is a clever politician. And I, I, one thing I do say in the editorial, I don't agree with Paul, I hope he doesn't, this isn't a turning point in the party's uh, views on national security, but one thing I do say is the party, other Republican politicians, could learn a little bit about politics from Paul. They could learn a little bit about how to seize the moment, how to take center stage, how to dramatize an issue, how to dramatize themselves. They could be more entrepreneurial. That's really impressive, I think, what Rand Paul pulled off. He has a real instinct the way other previous politicians have. For and and, and as you a, just noted, he found the area where the interests, cro- you know, where the, the, the circles cross. He found that center in the circle. And it was very, very smart as opposed to John McCain, who went out of his way to insult Rand Paul supporters as, you know, whatever they call them, uh, kids in a uh, in a college dorm room or whatever. Uh, <laughs> how you about be some, flattered by that, Michael. How I mean, about some know, bringing people together he, stuff here? You should here? be flattered by that. He's, he's He's making you younger than you are, you know, <laughs> a youthful guy out there cheering on Rand Paul. There will have to be a serious debate, obviously, at some point about Republican views on national security. Right. And, that, and I do think Paul's thing was irresponsible in certain ways. But having said that, um, it just as a matter of political theater, it was, it was impressive and interesting. And for a change, the star of the theater wasn't President Obama. That was inherently good in itself. Bill Crystal, thanks so much. I know you have to get back to the Lido deck to enjoy another Mai Tai. I don't want to keep you away from your good times in Georgia. I've got well, to go I, shovel a foot of snow off of my car. Say, don't, yeah, be careful shoveling and uh, enjoy you know, driving <laughs> eight miles an hour through the snowy streets of Boston. And I'll be thinking of you. Uh, this has been the Weekly Standard Podcast. This week's podcast brought to you by Audible.com. Sign up today and get a 30-day free trial and a free audiobook of your choice. I'm your host, Michael Graham.